This is recording number 10896 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, December 12, 2010. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Joseph's Dream. Chapter 1 of Matthew, and we're going to begin reading at verse 18 in just a minute. Last week, uh, after the service, little uh, Oliver Cheatham stopped me, and he said, um, I don't know how old Oliver is. How old is he? Four? Okay. So he, he says to me, he says, uh, when are you going to get your hair back? <laughs> and I says, I said, well, Oliver, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get it back, uh, you know. <laughs> Some, some people just, I mean, when they get older, some people just don't have hair anymore. And he says, and this is, <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> he says, well, you could pray. <laughs> and so, what am I supposed to say to that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was so great. This is me in 1978, and I, and I was married to Farrah Fawcett at the time. <laughs> no, I, no, actually, that's, uh, that's my lovely wife, Sue, who is more beautiful today than she was then. But when I was 23, which I was in this picture, that's our oldest daughter, Dayspring, um, I had no idea... No, there was nothing in my life's vision that pictured me like this. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, how many of you, when you were in your... Uh, 20s, envisioned your life the way it's turned out to be? No one? Not a surprise. Um, all of us grow up uh, having a kind of a dream, a vision for our lives. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is that it rarely turns out the way that we plan. But sometimes that can bring a measure of heartache, discouragement, uh, sometimes anger and blame. And I want for us today to explore a part of the Christmas story that is not often um, you know, looked at in very much detail for what it speaks to us about how to navigate, how to manage life when it's not turning out the way that you thought it would. So let's begin reading chapter 1 of Matthew, at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Before we go any further, I just think it's very significant to note 
that of the four gospel writers, and you might not know this, but they're, at the beginning of the New Testament, there are four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these four guys recorded for us aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus so that we get a kind of a four-dimensional uh, view of, of Christ's life. And I just think it's remarkable that Matthew's view of the birth of Jesus focuses on this event. We often, around this time of year, we will hear from Luke chapter 2. And it's wonderful and glorious and all that. But I just think it's important to note that when Matthew sat down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and there's this partnership between the human vessel that's writing these words and God who is speaking through that person, there is a partnership there. And when Matthew is beginning to write and record for us the events around the birth of Jesus, this is what he wanted to get, make sure was understood and known. So this is important. This isn't a side issue. This is important. So now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now let's just stop for a minute and think about that because betrothal is not a word that we use often. But it means... More than engaged. Um, this was like an arrangement. You know, I, this is going to sound terrible, but it was kind of an arranged marriage. And so these two people whose uh, relatives have arranged for, that, for this marriage, they grow up knowing who they are going to spend their life with in marriage. And it is so, it's such a solid agreement, such a solid arrangement that the only way to break it is through a real divorce. And that's why we're going to see in a minute that Joseph, even though they are not, quote, quote, married yet, Joseph is referred to as, her, as Mary's husband. So they are betrothed to each other. Mary and Joseph have, we don't know for how long, because uh, when these arrangements are made, kind of... You know, it's very subjective. It sort of depends on the circumstances. But not any less than one year to the, to the uh, wedding date, the betrothal begins. And it can be m many other years. So the likelihood of Mary and Joseph growing up envisioning their life together is pretty, uh, is, is very strong. They have thought of their future and in their future, being a couple married together, that's their dream, their vision of their lives. So after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before their uh, wedding, and before their marital relations, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now we know the story and we... You know, most of us in the room have, you know, settled this issue a long time ago that Jesus was born of a virgin by miraculous means, by the moving upon of Mary by the Holy Spirit. But I'm not sure it went over real well with Joseph when Mary broke the news. Uh, yeah, Joe, I, <laughs> I'm pregnant. Yeah, that was tough news to hear. Oh, but, but it was by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, make her a public example, because, by the way, she could be under 
a Jewish law, stoned to death. And because he was a good man, a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, that means that Joseph was of the lineage of David the king, the the second king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall, you shall, notice this, she shall bring forth a son, and you shall. Not the two of them, Joseph. This is your job, Joseph. She'll give birth. You shall call his name Jesus which means Savior, Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. Now skip down to verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her or have sexual relations with her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He did what he was told or instructed to by God through the angel. He called his name Savior, Jesus. Really the story of two dreams, isn't it? One that Mary and Joseph had of their life and their future together. And that dream took a serious twist and turn, a change that in effect caused all of that future that they envisioned to be in jeopardy, to be to die, really. But then there's another dream that's recorded for here. One, a dream of redemption, where God speaks into that chaos, into that heartache, and brings something incredibly wonderful and glorious from it. All of us earlier indicated that we know what it's like to have a dream about your future, a vision of your future, evaporate, crash. One of my favorite songs is a song called Fire and Rain by James Taylor. In his high school days, he was in a band called The Flying Machine. Part of the lyrics, one of the phrases in that song is, sweet dreams and flying machines lay in pieces on the ground. That kind of tells what it's like sometimes when you look at the wreckage or the pieces, the remains, the debris of a crashed dream. It ain't pretty. And it doesn't feel good. I was certain that by age 55, surely before that, probably more like age 40, I would be the pastor of a mega church with thousands of people coming. (laughs) No worries for money. A big staff and my name on book covers and things like that. (laughs) Thank God that dream didn't happen. (laughs) How about you? What was the shape of your dream? And what is the state that it's in right now? Have that in mind as we talk about what we can see from this story that Matthew thought was the important thing for people to remember about the birth of Jesus. And consider how God met those people in the midst of a broken dream.
there are four things that I think uh, are the result of this intervention of God. God speaking into that brokenness. And the first is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, what are we afraid of? You may not have thought about it, but when you are face-to-face with the collapse or the uh, disintegration (laughs) of your dream, you may not have thought about it in terms of fear, but really, fear is one of the first things that comes up. Fear that I am just doomed to failure. I, I know that that has dogged me a lot of my life. As things I envision for my life and future don't pan out the way that I, I think they should, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know what? Nothing's ever going to work out for you. You are just doomed to fail. So there's a fear about that. For those of us who are Christians and we really want to be following Christ and we want our vision for our future to match his, his plans for our lives, when those things d- collide, they don't, aren't moving in parallel together, sometimes we can be afraid that we don't know how to hear from God. Now everybody else does. Everybody else talks about, oh, God told me. I heard this from God. But for me, I don't know. What's wrong with me? How come I can't get from God? Why can't I hear from God? There are other fears that, that uh, plague us in those times, but God wants to speak into that and say, don't be afraid. Don't give place to fear. Don't let fear cause you to scramble. Don't let fear cause you to be to uh, lash out in anger because what what do we do we blame and if we can't find somebody to blame we turn that anger inward and we blame ourselves and that's called depression we don't give place to fear that's why the angel well of course i mean you're sleeping and you encounter an angel you you might need a little reassurance that everything's okay don't be afraid but it was more than that More than that. Much more than that. God was saying, when when your dream comes crashing down, don't give place to fear. The second thing that we see here is God's reassurance that he is at work. God is at work. In the midst of all of this, you know, the, the, the fabric of this uh, dream that's rending before their eyes, in the middle of that, the Son of God is gestating. Usually when we're in the midst of the collapse of our dream, all we see is the, you know, the, the unraveling of what we have fashioned, what we have thought life would be. And we focus on that. And that's just natural. Surely it's just natural human tendency. But in those times, if we listen to the voice of God, 
speaking into that, that chaotic scene, what he's going to say to you is, I'm still at work. Now, I don't know about you. My, I told you a little bit about my dream about being a megachurch pastor. I also had another dream. I was going to be the fifth beetle. I've told you that one before. <laughs> I also had another dream. I was going to be a garbage truck driver. Yeah. All of those, thankfully, have disintegrated. But sometimes, here's the deal. Sometimes we fashion these, we, you know, and it is a, this is another natural human tendency to envision yourself. To envision what your life is going to be like five days, ten days, years ahead. Uh, and I believe that God made us that way. Now, you can become preoccupied with the future, and the Lord says That's, that is a serious no-no. It's called divination. You don't want to go there. But I believe that God made us people who project ourselves into the future somewhat. Because... Living life in pursuit of God's dream for your life is a heady experience. It's wonderful. The problem is, as we kind of shape this picture of what our life is going to be, sometimes we get it a little wrong. Our selfishness kind of paints it with certain pictures, pressures of other people and our society and culture. They all add little different colorations and, and images to the picture. And we can kind of get it Goofy. But even when we get it wrong, dear one, hear me now, hear me now. Even when we get it dead wrong, somewhere in the middle of that, God is still at work. And we just need to be reminded of that so that He can kind of clear away all of the mess and help us to see His plan. The third thing that I think we see in this picture that is really, really, really important is that this is bigger than you. Your future is not about your bank account, the things you possess. It's not about your career, not about the degree hanging on your wall. Not about your children, your spouse. This is about the kingdom of God. At the break, somebody came up to me and said, what, what can I do? How, how can me and my cousin go this year to serve in, on a mission field? Now, there you go. That's a dream worth living for. I'm not saying, hey, quit your job, sell your stuff, and go move to Cambodia. I'm just saying, God's dreams for us are so much bigger, so much grander. They have eternal significance. Not just gaining the corner office. Not just getting, you know, a better retirement package. Thank God, get the best retirement package you can get. But, oh, man, in comparison to eternity, what is that worth? Nothing. This is bigger than you. Let God shape in each one of us a vision for our lives that's bigger. Finally, 
obey God in faith. We read this passage and we, you know, we, we can easily pass some of these very, very significant things and not think too much about them. But God, remember, Matthew wanted us to see of all that could be told about the birth of Jesus, he wanted us to see this. And he said this, in recording the, the exchange between this angel and, and Joseph, the angel says to him, you know, Mary's going to have the baby. She's going to give birth. But you're going to name him Savior. Savior. How many dads we have in the room? Okay. When you had the discussion with your wife about what you were going to name your children, how many of you, for how many of you, the term Savior came up? <laughs> oh, I know what we'll call this little uh, child Savior. <laughs> Nobody would do that, right? Because it sounds, it is. It's extremely presumptuous, wouldn't you say? This was a tall order. I mean, look, Joseph and Mary are already claiming that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and now we're going to name our kid Savior. These are the neighbors you don't want to be near, right? <laughs> This is not easy. Think of the faith this requires. But for you and me to follow God's vision for our life, it will always require faith. You know, uh, let, me, let me end this. We're almost done. But let me end this with a little story. So, <clears throat> I told you about my, my dream of being this megachurch pastor by... Actually, I figured I'd make it by age 30. <laughs> well, I started, I started pastoring when I was in my mid-20s. Can you imagine that? Would you go to a church that the pastor was 25 years old? <laughs> Makes me cringe to think about it. But anyway, the church had a, a, you know, I was telling the guys yesterday morning at Men's Institute, the only place we could find to, to meet for our, our church, our you know, our church services was in the jockeys' locker room at the county fair, uh, fairgrounds. You know, the place where the jockeys change to go, go, uh, you know, ride the ponies. That's where we met. The showers and the lockers—they're all right there. Uh, but uh, we had over a hundred people that showed up on that first Sunday that came in there and the church just began to grow from there. And so we had this, and listen, you know, when you're 25 years old, you figure, well, of course that will happen. Everybody will come to this church, right? <laughs> so it was no big deal to me. I just thought, oh, well, this is, this is how it should be. And it just kept growing from there and we, we moved to, you know, different facilities and so on. And, you know, it was great. Um, but... I had my dream a little mixed up. <laughs> it wasn't about me. <laughs> and so the Lord could not allow that just to continue forever. I mean, it would have been a mess. It would have been a mess. And uh, so, you know, after about, I don't know, eight or nine years, 
I felt like I, mean, I, I could tell, I won't, I'll, I'll spare you the details, but the bottom line was that the Lord told me, he said, Randy, you've done everything I'm going to let you do here. Well, that was hard to hear. And just a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of things that I thought were cast in stone about my future just started to fall apart. But see, God had to get at some stuff in me. He had to. And um, so he did. But then, you know, I felt like the Lord was saying, asking me to obey him in faith. And that, that step of obedience for us was, would you start again? And that was tough. Because what do you say? What do you say to yourself? Well, I'm starting again because I failed the first time. What do you say to other people? Oh, well, we're going to start a new church. Well, why'd you leave the other one? I mean, it just brings up all this stuff. And it's, it's, not, it's not easy. But I'm going through all this stuff. And I felt like the Lord said to me, are you willing to do it again? And that was hard. It was really hard. But you know what? God is faithful. God is faithful. And I found myself saying, it was hard at first. I found myself saying, we're going to start a church. Now, it's not, not exactly the same, but it's kind of like saying, and this baby's going to be called Savior. Way beyond my pay grade. But, and at this point, I have, you know, in this, at this point in my life, all my arrogance and my pride has been, God has knocked the snot out of me. Let's put it that way. I don't have that stuff dealing with. And, and so I, I didn't have the cockiness and the brashness and the boldness. And so for me to say, we're going to, we're going to start another church. It was a hard, hard thing to do. Whatever it is that you're facing in terms of the collapse or the disintegration of what you envisioned your life to be, remember, do not be afraid. Don't let that fear turn into anger towards other people or to, you know, if, if you know how it goes. It's if, well, if they hadn't screwed me over or if, you know, if I'd have done this differently. Don't go, you know, don't go there and don't let that anger turn inward and become depression. Don't be afraid. Because God is still at work in the midst of that. He is. Let him reshape your life's vision according to his plans for you because they're great. They're much bigger than you. And then look for the step of faith. That passage concludes by saying, he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He called his name Savior. He took the step of faith. Look for it. It will be there. It will take every ounce of faith you have. But when you take that step, you're going to be on a journey that cannot even compare to the one you thought you would be on.